0: Welcome to the Soul City Church podcast, a podcast for the glory of Jesus and the edification of the church. The following is a recent sermon from one of our Sunday worship gatherings. We hope you enjoy. To chapter 2, verse 1. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Jesus, we just pray this morning, God, as we just sang, the, as our Savior bleeds, Lord. And, and we just, we want to see right now this word that you, you, you have purchased us who are in you, Lord, who have believed in you. You have purchased us with that blood that you spilled for us, God. And we pray for these others that are here this morning that need to be born again, that need to be reconciled to you, Lord. Please, Jesus, would you just move on people's hearts this morning, move on us and help us, God, to respond to this word. And, and we we'll pray for Alex as he preaches that you would just help us to hear what he says. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Jake. What a powerful passage for us to read this morning. But more than that, what a powerful song we just sang. Like, I never get tired of that song. So maybe we'll just continue to do it every week. Um, I hope you were equally as stirred as we we sing and you realized um, the reality of the cross. The reality of what God has done for us in Christ. Um, There's a few people here who don't know the gospel. There's a few people here who maybe you've never trusted in Christ. As I speak right now, maybe you're like, this experience that we just sung about that so many of you rejoiced in is foreign to me. And if it is, um, this is what I want to say to you as, as we get started. Is that... God became a man and he died on a cross and he took the full weight of your sin and he suffered a death that he did not deserve at all. He, the, the scripture says that like a lamb he was led to the slaughter. Think about the inno, innocence of a lamb. He was led to slaughter. And that's who the son of God was. He was totally innocent of our sin but the scandal of what the gospel is is that he took the full weight of it on, on His shoulders. He took every ounce of it. He took every last bit of the wrath that we all deserve because of our sin. You know that our one thought against our brother, our one, thanks thanks, always, I need it too, thank you. Our one thought against our brother, our one thought against God, questioning God's will for our life, questioning why would you make me this way, God? Why would you make me go through this? Our one uh, lustful thought towards Another uh, individual, our one moment of anger where we lashed out. I'm going through this thing right now with our little boy Elias, who he's just he's really uh, processing through his anger and just lashing out at times, and he's just figuring that out. Our one, our one moment that of our weakness where we sinned and we knew that we sinned. It was worthy of an eternity of wrath, and I say that to you now. Not to scare you, but to bring the reality of the cross to bear upon your heart. That what Jesus bore through, through his, his crucifixion, through the, the torturous death that he carried on the cross, what he bore on that was um, paving the way for you to be cleared of eternal destruction. He took that upon his shoulders. And he took that upon his shoulders so that we could have a living hope and this is what I want to say last night I was sitting uh, I was praying for my little girl Ezra and this is how you preach the gospel if you don't know it this is what God says to you right now Ezra looks at me and says Daddy did you know that God has a plan for you and I said yeah what is that plan he said he wants you to be born again he wants you to be born again he wants you to know him and that is God's word to you right now. Turn to him. Turn to Christ. And listen, if you're a Christian, rejoice in him. Rejoice in Christ for what he's done for you. Rejoice, because what we have in Christ is greater than anything the world's offered us. It's greater than anything. He wants you to be born again to this living hope. And Peter talks about that. He talks about a living hope that we have, an imperishable seed that will not be destroyed in the gospel. What we have in Christ is totally worth an entire life of exile. It's worth our, our complete devotion to. It's worth, Matthew 13 says that we should go sell all that we have and to go obtain it. Because it's worth it. It's worth every possession you have. It's worth everything that you can, you can uh, think that your heart was made for. It's worth you laying it all down because what you get in, in, in Christ is much more than anything you're losing. Me and Jake were just in uh, Los Angeles yesterday. Man, the, the fluency there. the um, we were all the way to the airport, and we saw like this Lamborghini pass by and just seemed that was just every moment. That was so much money that was there, and all of these people are just seeking after these things in our hearts. That's what we do. We're just constantly seeking after all of this stuff, and what God is offering us in the gospel is an imperishable seed, something that will not fade away with time, something that when you go to the grave, you're not going to carry anything that we gain in this world to the grave, but you'll carry the hope of Christ into the grave, and through the grave. And that's the gospel that Peter is preaching here. That, listen, we're part of this new kingdom. We have a living hope, and it's, there's a stamp of that hope that uh, God has given us through Jesus' resurrection, meaning that uh, when Jesus rose from the grave, he, he gave us total confidence to know that this is where we should rightly place our hope. This is where we should live. We should live in the love of God through Christ. And what Peter is getting to as we continue through here, building upon this great foundation in chapter 1, starting in verse 3. If you've not read the book of First Peter, and this is your first Sunday, go and read the entire chapter of First Peter 1. If you're a Christian, then you're going to love it. If you're not a Christian, you're going to be like, I don't really know what it's talking about. And that's okay, because there's, he, he shows you, and he continues to give you clarity as to what the gospel is. But he talks about this reality of, of this living hope in Christ. And he talks about the finality of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture. And then he goes into this whole passage about how we should live in light of that. And that's where we come to today. God's chosen instrument for his mission in the world is the church. And God uses the church as an instrument as they bear fruit, bear fruit of the kingdom of God. And model what it is to be a part of the kingdom. Of God model right now. What is the kingdom? You know, when we gather here on a on a Sunday morning, what we're experiencing in uh, snippets and pieces are elements of eternity, of this heavenly reality. You know, that moment you haven't seen uh, haven't seen Devin all week, and I, and I show up on a Sunday morning, and there's like this moment. Like, hey, dude, I haven't seen you. How you doing? So that's an element of that of that new. Uh, that new covenant reality that's coming is that homecoming that we'll experience with one another that uh, moment that we experience in worship of, of true intimacy that we have with one another where our hearts are in line as we sing or as we all sit under here underneath the Word of God and the Holy Spirit's among us and he speaks to our heart these are realities of the kingdom and what the church is is an opportunity for us to model that and to show the world what this looks like the the beauty the flourishing of this coming reality, that is the gospel, and specifically one of the passages that we've built our church upon in a lot of ways is Acts chapter two, verse forty-two through forty-seven. I haven't referenced it in a while, so it felt right to bring that up again. <laughs> Acts chapter two, verses forty-two through forty-seven show us that what God intended for His people to to be is this loving community that had this deep love for one another. This deep, as as this passage would say, this deep sincere love and this deep uh, earnestness in love for one another. And that love for one another that was cultivated led to deeper effectiveness and fruit on mission. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, and they were gathering at home, Um, I'm paraphrasing now, they were gathering from home to home, they were meeting each other's needs, and they were just spending every single day together. It even talks about them going to the temple and spending time with one another day by day. And then the scripture ends in verse 47, because there's a clear transition. Luke wants us to settle upon that and see this is the fruit of that. That Day by day, God was adding to their number those who were being saved. He was adding people to to their midst. And that was the fruit of one of the things they were doing, which was fellowship and devotion to one another and living in this community together. Some of you... Here, and I I know I can say this with total confidence, not everyone is on the same page with one another when it comes to the church. We're not all all sitting here, and there's not full unity across the board as to what the church is, um, what she's not, how we should be involved in the church. And that's okay, because I think right now this passage leads us into a lot of those things. This is my major point I want to make this morning, that... Our obedience to the living and abiding Word of God will lead us to earnest and sincere love for one another. Our obedience to the living and abiding Word of God will lead us to sincere and earnest love for one another. And that one another is very key. And I'll go ahead and set this caveat here. When Peter talks in this passage about uh, loving one another, he specifically has in mind the local church, the body of believers that an individual are a part of, loving the body. He has that in mind. <clears throat> to understand this, think about this reality. The church is this. Just as I love all people, and there's many people I love, I say it often because I do. Like, you know, I probably use the term love a little more flippantly than I should. Um like the other day we were we were in LA, we were sharing the gospel with this rapper. His name was One Man. I think, yeah, his name was One Man. And he was trying to make his name on Venice Beach. And man, what a guy. And uh, we got his, his CD and he said, uh, I rap all about positive stuff. We popped that thing in. Mm. Mm. Struggle. But um so I was I was talking with a young man and, and something I told told one man, I sh- we shared the gospel with him, and uh yeah. Good time. And uh, it, one thing I told him, I said, dude, I love you, bro. I want you I want you to repent and receive the gospel. I want you to do that. And it uh, just kinda of went over his head, you know, because our, our default in life is is works righteousness. So when I talked to him about being a Christian, what he said is, Yeah, I'm a positive person. Well, good. But you need the gospel. You need Christ. That's not that's not what I asked. him. that's not the Christian faith for us to understand, is this idea of just Works righteousness. Our hearts default towards that, but that's not what the Christian faith is. So, sharing with him, one thing I said is, "I love you. I love you. I want you to repent." And I think when I say "I love you," there, it's a little different than when I say "I love you" to Jesse, obviously, Jesse being my wife. If you're not familiar with me, or it's a little different than when I say "I love you" to Ezra, my little girl, or my twin boys, Elias or Elisha. It's not the same thing. And this is exactly how we should think about the church. God in the Bible calls us to love everyone, to, to walk in a posture of love, sacrificial love, loving all people. You know, if you were to sum up most churches' mission statement, it's typically like, love God, love people. Everybody has that. as like the mm-hmm. church, church tagline or something. It's not bad. It's a beautiful thing. But... The, the loving that Peter has in mind here is not just this general love for all, but especially those of the church. That there is a deep love, this abiding love that God's calling us into in how we are to love one another, and how we, we are to walk hand in hand with one another. It's not just a general live peaceable among all, but it is a deep, intentional, sacrificial love for your brother who are in the church your brother in Christ. It is a commitment. And the way we express that in our church is through membership. Being a member of our church puts you in this body and Peter is saying, take that body that you're a part of and throw yourself into them and love them and lay your life down for them. And don't let them be in sin. Love them. Lay your life down for them. Take. Take everything that you can to see them presented holy and blameless before Jesus one day. It is sacrificial. It is showing up and serving and laying your life down for them by creating an environment through your service for them to flourish on Sunday morning. There's so many people in our church that do that well, showing up early and just creating an environment where people can get here and there can be no stumbling blocks, and then we can all press into what God has. And it's devotion. This love is this devotion for one another. God is not just saying love everybody. He's saying love the church specifically. Love the body of believers that you are a part of. Press into that. And the reason why you are to do that is as you are being obedient to the living, the abiding word of God. Now what does that mean? The word of God here could be summed up in what we say often. This is the gospel. The good news of Jesus. And he uses two particular words um, uh, descriptors of what this gospel is. Number one, it is living. If we see that at the very beginning of the Bible that, or at the very beginning of this book, First Peter, that uh, this hope that we are a part of is a living hope that, and, and, I, and I described that earlier, that this living hope is this reality that Jesus rose from the grave and it is alive. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. He's with us. We don't gather here for a funeral service. We gather here for a resurrection celebration. We're not thinking about Jesus' death out of the context of his resurrection. We think about his death because all that the death accomplished had the final stamp of approval through his resurrection. So it's a living gospel. It's something that is alive. It's not a moral teaching that is removed from practical, real experience right now. God is with us. He's walking with us. He's not leaving us to our own devices, but he's alive. He's alive. And he's with us. And the scripture says that when he rose from the grave and he was seated at the right hand of God, he sent his his spirit to dwell with us. And he didn't leave us as orphans, but he actually made us a part of the family. But number two, it's abiding. And what this word is really speaking to, when you understand it in its totality, is this permanence, a permanent fixture of the gospel, meaning that there's nothing that's going to change the reality of our good news that we experience in Christ. There's nothing going to take that from us. Donald Trump being elected to another term is not going to steal our gospel hope. Okay? It's permanent. It's fixed. Jesus, when he rose from the grave, and he, he rose to the right hand of the Father, was somewhat of a seal that all that he said is true. And nothing's going to change it. That it's going to be that way for all of eternity. And he is presently with us. He's abiding with us. The, the scripture says in John 15 that we should remain with him. We should abide with Him. That's the same word used here in First uh, Peter. this abiding with Him, and what this is showing us is that, that that Word of God, the Gospel, is abiding with us. Where the Scripture says in John fifteen to abide in Him, this is showing that God is abiding with us. The Gospel is the very means in which we experience God. We we saw that this past uh, week when I was in um, when I was in California, we did this with, with the Bible Pathways things I was talking about earlier. In 2 Timothy, what we see in 2 Timothy is there's this reality of the preaching of the gospel is actually the very experience of God himself. Meaning that as we preach here, that's, that's why you can associate a term like abiding, like living with the word of God. Because the experience of the word of God and the knowledge of the word of God is the knowledge of God. It's not just the knowledge of a message, but it's the experience of the divine of God, Jesus himself. So when we proclaim the gospel, this is not our adherence to an an instruction manual. This is our relationship with the living God. Man, let that shake you. That's amazing. But even more so, Peter gives us a comprehensive definition of what the word is. The word is not just gospel summed up in a sense. It's not just good news. He gives us more comprehension on that. He, He gives us a A lot of clarity as to what it is. It's also the written word of God. He references it here. He says we're not born again to a perishable seed but an imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For, and then he references the Old Testament, meaning that what he's showing us in the Old Testament, this is the word of God. What we have, these Old Testament scriptures, is the word of God as well. Even though there was somewhat of a veil there where we couldn't see Totally, the the clarity of what God's plan was in the world, it was still God's plan. He was going to restore all the nations to himself. The word that will remain forever is the pure, spotless, intimate bride of Christ will be restored. That's the word. The word of God here in Isaiah chapter 40 specifically is showing us that all flesh is like grass. Everything is going to fall away. But Isaiah 40 starts this way. It says, comfort, comfort, my people. Comfort. Comfort. That the, the promise that you can cling to, that will remain forever, that is alive and abiding, is the promise that there is a final coming, promised restoration for God's people., Amen. that he's building a people. That's the word of the Old Testament. So when we think about the written word, the written word is all that was building up to Christ, and, and all of those scriptures that were building up to Christ were actually pointing to Christ, pointing to Christ. And when, when Jesus came, we saw that with full clarity. That all that was proclaimed about God beforehand was actually fulfilled in Jesus. So he's saying, Your obedience to the Word of God, your obedience to the Scriptures specifically. That's why we read the Bible on Sunday mornings. Because the Word of God is sharper than any double edged sword. It cuts us, it divides us, it gets into our heart. That's why the Word of God has to be s- central. Jonathan Lehman says every church needs to be the word centered church. You've got to be focused on him. And not just the word written, but the word preached. And he explains some of this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Verses 10 through 12 in 1 Peter 1 show us what the comprehensive vision of the word of God is for him. It is the, scr- the written scriptures, but past being the written scriptures, it is also the testimony of the Spirit that is shown to us through the preaching of the gospel. That's why we should preach the gospel. He references this, and that's why he says even further that this word, the word that was proclaimed in Isaiah chapter 40, is the good news that was preached to you. Meaning that message in Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort, my people. I'm going to finally redeem you and restore you and save you, and nothing's going to change that because all flesh is like grass, the flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of God going to remain forever. That word is synonymous with the gospel. And when the gospel was preached to you, it was the fullness of the word of God being preached to you that you received. And what this passage shows us is that this word of God was preached to you, and those who were born again were obedient to the word of God. They were obedient to the word of God. And what does that mean to be obedient? Specifically, the scripture says obedient to the truth. How do we understand that? What truth? This, this, this truth. That Jesus, in a summation, Jesus is God. He's King of Kings, He's Lord of Lords. Therefore, if he is that, then what He did in the earth on the, on the earth, while He was alive, truly accomplished that which He set out to accomplish. This truth that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. The truth in Ephesians 1. That there is a hope he's called us into that uh, there's nothing thwarting it. That he is seated at the right hand of God over the domains of darkness, over all the dominions, all authorities. And that he um, he is the head of the church. And that as he is the head of the church, he is the head over all things as well. That is the particular truth that this is referencing. And what Peter says is that for you to believe and be born again like it talks about, being born again has a fruit, and that fruit is obedience with the truth, the truth of the gospel. The obedience that this passage is talking about is a walking in step with the gospel. And this is why, because Jesus demands we respond to the gospel. It's not up for debate. He demands it. It's not something that we should, it's not something that we should consider. He demands that you respond right now. Choose this day whom you will serve. So for us to, be, to consider and believe and say, Jesus has done a work in our heart, I am born again, I am a new creation. There is obedience that flows from that. It's not because you're earning righteousness from obedience, but it's because if God has done that work in you, you will walk and step with what it looks like to be a Christian. You'll do that. And there's two ways that this obedience looks like. Number one is faith. We understand and have faith that what God says is true. We understand that when Jesus rose from the grave, and that there's going to be a time where he comes and restores all things to the church and in the world, and there's a new heavens and a new earth. We believe that. We receive that. That's why when the scripture says, if you will believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the grave and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you will be saved because it takes our faith to save us. There's justification in that. And number two is repentance. If the gospel is true and we are being obedient to the gospel, then we allow the power of the gospel to affect and change us in our totality. And I say that word intentionally, in our totality. If we believe the gospel, then everything in our life is under submission to Him. Not out of uh, fear. Not, man, if I don't submit, God's going to strike me down Out out of love and joy. Out of this this deep desire to know him more. Like Paul says, I want to know Christ, the power of resurrection. Paul, Paul laid down everything in his life. He laid down all that he had in his life to obtain more of Christ because he knew that what he had there is what he most truly desired and wanted. So then his life was this obedience. He was walking in obedience to the truth. Now repentance is pretty multifaceted. Number one, it's turning from. It's turning from your sin. It's seeing how you have transgressed the law of God, seeing how you transgressed God, and turning from that. But then also, it is a pursuit of righteousness itself. It's not just staying in that, in that negative or passive posture, but it's pursuing Christ. It's walking in step with Him. It's wanting to know Him more. That is the obedience it's talking about. And Peter here. Culminates all of this talk about how we walk now as born again, born again believing Christians and being obedient to the truth of God's word, he culminates it all by saying how your obedience will look is by how you love one another. How you love one another. And specifically the church. Galatians says that do good to all, but especially do good to the church. Especially, meaning that if Jesus has truly bought us as a people, if God's really done a work in our hearts and we really believe these truths to be true over all of creation, then who we need to devote ourselves more than to anybody is to the church to make her beautiful, to make her great. Because where the church is thriving, the mission of God is going forward. with It's greater ferocity than it ever has. Loving the church. So what does it look like here to love how do we love in light of what God has done in our hearts? Because we know that you can only walk in obedience to the gospel if you've been born again. You're never going to fulfill that. Why, why would you humble yourself before the Almighty hand, the mighty hand of God? Why would, you, uh, why would you confess your sin if God's not going to work in you? And we believe that if you confess your sin, God's just to forgive you. And if, and if you walk in, in, in a relationship with him and, and, you, and you can seek him with all of your all of your life, that that is fruit and evidence of your being born again. So how do we love in light of the new birth? Well, he says two things. He says that we've been born to an imperishable seed. It's not perishable anymore. What does that mean? Well, the perishable seed was earthly. It was human relationship. We were born to our father, Adam. And it was true and tangible and fleshly and of ethnic identity. But Peter says we're not born to that. When we are born again, we are born to an imperishable seed. And that imperishable seed is a heavenly reality. It's based upon the word of God. What does that mean? That our loving one another is not based upon how we feel, but it's based upon what God has said. How we love one another. And how does that play out in our life? Here's a good practical example. Your brother or your sister is in sin. You're angry and instead of calling them out in total anger and being very frustrated with them you approach them even though you're scared because God's word says that I need to call I need to help my brother I need to walk with him I need to do that that's that's building a relationship upon the word of God it's not being content with uh, their happiness in you but it's being content in your faithfulness to the word as you relate to that person even further our relationship, the imperishable seed is a spiritual identity. It's imperishable because it's not fleshly. And it's not temporary and momentary. It's imperishable. Meaning that the community that we find ourselves in is not based upon our commonalities. It's based upon this new spiritual identity we have. It doesn't matter how much I like John. John's my brother. He's my brother. How I understand family is that he's my brother. It don't matter. I'm going to walk with him. He's going to be my brother for the rest of my life. We're going to be in a relationship whether we like it or not. Now, I know that's not everyone's understanding of family. and A lot of people come from a broken understanding there. But I believe that's what is good and great about earthly relationship. But in the same way, God has placed us into this spiritual family now. To where when we fail each other and we're not um, identical and we don't have the same in common interests and you like lacrosse and I like football, Guess what? It's okay. Because Jesus is Lord and His blood breaks through all of those barriers. Is that how you view the local church? But this is where I want to spend the a majority of our time of what it looks like to love one another in light of this new birth. It's two things, and these are things that God gives us. When we are born again, I believe that your belief in the gospel leads to these two things. Sincerity and love. Sincerity and love. When we come to Christ and we cling to him in faith, the scripture says here that God purifies our hearts. He gives us a pure heart. And 1 Peter says that having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. What does that mean? When you turn to Christ and you followed in line with what it means to believe in him and walk with him and you are living a life totally given over to the the truth of the gospel. When you're living in that particular way, God has purified you. And that purification leads to sincere brotherly love. Sincere brotherly love. God purifies our hearts. If you have believed in Christ, this is what I know, is that you have an inclination towards your brother or sister in Christ now. You have that. There is a particular sincerity that we have, and what God brings with the gospel is a new understanding of life for the glory of God now. It gives us totally new understanding to where we can walk out of a sincerity, not this forced community. A good way to express that is, man, you know, i work in logistics, and there's these random events that'll happen where, like, they're trying to uh, increase uh, the culture of our church or of our our business. And, um, like, we went on this rafting trip not that long ago, and it was great. Not hating on the rafting trip, it was so good, but it was very forced. I mean, like here's people from different walks of life who are trying to spend time with one another, and none of that's bad. It's all great. But we had nothing in common, and it was the most forced community possible. But let me say this, that when we believe the gospel, it is not a forced thing. When you see your brother or sister who loves Jesus, it doesn't matter what they look like, what they like, what, kind of, what, what they're struggling with, you love them. You walk hand-in-hand in hand in fellowship with them. You seek their good, their spiritual good, their earthly good. You seek for them to grow because God gives us new hearts. He gives us a brand new heart. He purifies our hearts. He shows us that that which we understood the world through to begin with was selfishness. But what we truly longed for was the glory of God shown to us in the face of Christ. And when we believe it and we step into it, God gives us the strength, the sincerity of heart to love others. And it doesn't mean we don't struggle to love others well. We struggle. Me and Jake were talking about this the past couple days is that, like, when you live in good, intentional community, what you realize more than anything is how much you don't love other people. Yeah. But there's a sincerity of heart that is there at the very baseline because you have the Holy Spirit that says, I don't love you, but I really want to love you. And I really want to try, and I'm really trying to fight for it. Is that your heart? If it's not, repent. Turn to Christ. If you are standing here today and you're saying, listen, I look at the local church. First off, I'm not plugged into a local church. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you don't have a church home. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, you know, I just joined Sola, our church, within the past year, and what I've realized is there's a lot of sinners here. And if that's you, then first off, you know I prepared you for it. I said that when you joined. But second off, you can... Uh, be encouraged through the power of the gospel that their brokenness and our brokenness as a community is not grounds for you to go away, but it's grounds for you to press in. It's grounds for you to step into deeper understanding of the church because God is building His church. He's, He's building a new community. And He doesn't only desire that we love out of sincerity, true purity of heart, sincerity, but He desires that we love one another earnestly this, this Greek verb is really speaking to a strenuous love, sacrificial love, a fully devoted love. There's no striving in the love of God, but there is striving and fighting in love for one another. There's no striving in the love of God. You don't have to earn the love of God. He loves you for exactly who you are. But there is a striving in love for one another. We have to fight to love one another better. We've got to grow in that. We've got to continue to grow in that. Think about Jesus' earnest love for us on the cross. He laid down all of his life for us. He um, lived a completely obedient life to save those who mocked him and cursed him to his face. He came and um, invited a handful of individuals into his life in his earthly ministry, Peter and James and John, and the list goes on. And they mocked him and they left him and they deserted him. But it was earnest he fought and he laid his life down and so it is with us when we believe the gospel we take upon the very nature of christ himself the nature of god is becoming the very nature of who we are now meaning that that which god uh the very heartbeat of how god operates the very sacrificial posture that he has in his heart that becomes who we are now because we are filled with the power of god through the holy spirit we're growing in that we're growing to become like him in many facets and the scripture says one day we're going to stand before him and when we stand there We will be made like him when he sees it, when the light of the glory of God shines upon us as the sun shines upon us. And this is exactly how God calls us to love one another strenuously. Think about that. Earnestly. Right now in the body, as you think about your relationships with the church, are you being passive? Are you like halfway in? Are you halfway committed? Do you have a life built outside of the local church and you say, hey, listen, I see the significance of the local church, but I'm just going to do a couple things. And just kind of stay on the margins, on the fringes. That's not what the gospel calls us to. It calls us to deep, radical commitment and community with one another. Do you see the, the vision for that here? Listen. Because the Word of God will last forever and remain forever. Because the good news that was preached to you, and it was so powerful that it broke down your walls, just the spoken Word of God broke down the very walls in your heart. Because of this powerful good news that we have in the gospel, it leads us to radically loving one another, radically laying our life down for one another just as Jesus laid his life down for us strenuously striving fighting continuing to pursue each other's holiness with total power I mean not letting someone continue and continue and continue to just remain in their sin but fighting for them coming alongside them seeking after them is that how you view the local church I hope so because there's a few instructions here as we conclude that Peter leaves us with. He says, because of the gospel, because God has purified you, because this is who you are now, that the word that God has spoken about who we are going to be for all of eternity is true and it is imperishable and will never fade away because it is a living and abiding. Therefore, chapter 2, verse 1 says, put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all slander." Put away our perishable fleshly identity and our perishable fleshly tendencies and take hold of the imperishable, the love and the joy and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that God has reserved for those who are in the gospel. Take hold of that. Lay the malice down. What is malice? It's just ill will towards other people. Are you harboring that in your heart this morning towards your other brothers and sisters in the church? The mission of God will be forever hindered if we are not reconciled to one another. Forever. Moments of revival throughout church history always began with the church being reconciled in relationship to one another. Do you have malice in your heart? Malice is ill will towards others. Are there other people here? That's how you feel. Repent today. Turn today. Seek them out. Talk to them about that. Flesh that out. The church should be one of the, the places where you have the most hard and tough conversations of anywhere in the world. Should be that, <laughs> because God has invited us all into each other's sanctification. Deceit. Are you deceiving those in the church? Are you walking with this? This is what's interesting: is uh, Peter is not approaching this from a positive perspective, but he's negatively approaching it. He's saying, "Listen, if anything, if you have believed the gospel, you need to put these things to death. Deceit." hypocrisy. What what is hypocrisy? It's disobedient Christianity. It's professing with our mouth something that we are not actively living out. Put it to death. What does that mean for our community? It means we are acting like we love one another and we really don't. And it's okay to call it. And it's okay to say that is what's happening. So we repent and we turn and we believe the gospel and we seek to have this new sincere heart that you are building in us, Lord. We seek that. Envy. Are you desirous of someone else's life? As a fruit of your discontentment in Christ. Are you desirous of someone else's life, possessions, family, situation, whatever it is, because you're discontent in Christ? Turn to the gospel. How you deal with envy is you say, Jesus, I should be rejoicing over my brother and sister. I should not be um, hating my brother and sister in my heart. Jesus, please heal me, and he will. Go to them. Confess that today, if that's what you're dealing with. And then finally, he ends by saying, put away slander. What is slander? Slander is just talking negatively and probably untruthfully about others. Saying things that uh, are probably unfair to be said and saying things in a, in a position to where that particular person does not have, um, does not have the opportunity to speak to them. One of the things that will kill the church are these things. Some of the few things that will destroy the body is when we allow malice to creep into our relationship, or we allow deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander to creep into our relationship. And life with exile will be that much harder. But if we would right now believe the gospel, if we would see, listen, my obedience to following in line with Jesus' word is to love one another sincerely, to love one another earnestly, and to seek to put to death these things. If we would do that, then maybe Jesus will do an amazing work in our body. Maybe God would really take us and say, now that is a people that I could use. Maybe the Lord will break out in ministry in ways we never could imagine, like I did in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, when they were committed wholly to one another, loving one another, caring for one another. And what you see in that passage is that it doesn't say that God um, uh, gave them so much Fervor and evangelism, <clears throat> that God uh, prepared their hearts so much in apologetics that they went out and they won people over in arguments. That's not what the scripture says. But the scripture says they devoted themselves to one another, loving one another, that God added to their number. God did a work of ministry. God furthered the mission because the people decided and said, we're going to love one another well. Can we do that as a body? I want to say right now, I repent. I'm the chief of all sinners. If any of these things have been true in my life, I come right now and say, I'm sorry. I am. Would you do that today? Would you Would you repent and turn and, and realize that the Christian journey is constantly turning from where we have sinned and finding healing in the gospel. Constantly turning to Him over and over and over again. Realizing that you probably have failed other people in our body. I know I have. Over and over and over again. But there's healing for us if we'll go to Him. So Uh, We're going to do one last song as we finish here. Um, And as we conclude this time, I want to just encourage you to just think well. Think um, intentionally about how you need to repent, how you need to walk in deeper love for one another, how you need to um, love one another out of a purity of heart. Do that now in this moment. I want to be available for prayer. Two things I want to instruct you, and I would love to pray with you if there's things that you want to talk about. If you want to grab your brother or sister and repent with me there and we pray, I would love that, whatever it is. Um, but Then the other thing is, um, if there's any uh, sickness or sin or anything that you want healing over um, and we, I would love to, as like it says in James, anoint with oil and gather people and pray. And um, I, want to, I want to be available for, for that as well. So if you guys want to press in in any of those ways, please do. Don't miss what the Lord's doing. And um, after, after this song, we'll conclude. But don't mess what Jesus is doing. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. Be with us now uh, over these few moments. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Solo City Church podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and empowered to follow Jesus more than you ever have before. For more information about our church, please visit solocitychurch.com.